0: Hey, this is Alex Moore, lead pastor of New Life Community Church in Kansas City, Missouri. Thanks for taking time to listen to this message. For more information or to donate, visit newlifecasey.com. We're in a teaching series that we began last week called Divine Interruptions. You can see it there on the screen. And what we're doing is we're looking each week at interruptions. I think I speak for all of us when I say interruptions are the worst. But if you've been hanging out with young people, they think that everything is the worst. Oh, school starting next week. It's the worst. Oh, we have to wake up early. It's the worst. Oh, have you eaten at Burger King? It's the worst. We all have things that we think is the worst. But, but I do think interruptions, we would all kind of agree to some point, is the worst. Because every time you have something you want to do, something seems to get in the way of it. You're that parent, and you're like, you know what? I've got my to-do list. There's the things I need to get done. And you're gung-ho. You got energy. You got sleep. It was a miracle of God. And you get ready to step into your to-do list. And a kid shows up in front of you, and he throws up on the floor. And your day has been interrupted. All the parents are like, yep, been there, seen that, done that. And then once one kid's sick, then it's just, you know, the domino effect. It's like, who's next? Who has this kid breathed on? You know, how do we stay away? But we can't do that. Um, Sometimes you're at work, you know, you're on a roll, you're like, man, I am crushing it today. My boss is going to be so excited. I'm effective, I'm efficient, and you're just rolling along. You're going to get all your work done before the weekend. And then that email shows up in your inbox from that one person that just train wrecks your efficiency. And you're like, oh my goodness, the interruptions. They are the Worse, I mean they 're just horrible. Um, I had a, a moment where like uh, this is a while ago, maybe you 've been here like i 'm trying to get the yard mode so that people think well of me and my wife and how we care for our our yard before the guests come over, so i 'm out there in like a mad frenzy, mowing, and it 's like an hour before the people are supposed to show up, and what what happens? You run out of gas, and you 're like, oh." It's- it's interrupted, but it's no big deal. So you go to the garage and you grab the gas can, but you forgot last time you mowed that you put all the gas in the mower, and now you're having to drive to the gas station in order to come back to mow the yard in order to keep up appearances for people that don't really care if you mowed your yard or not. <laughs> interruptions. Man, we deal with interruptions all the time. Like, some people think it's in the Bible, it's not, but blessed are those who remain flexible, for they shall not break. Like, these are things that we live by, right? Right? Because interruptions come in all shapes and sizes, and I've never met an interruption that showed me any respect. Who was it, Rodney Dangerfield, that used to have that? <laughs> I get no respect. Yeah, that's definitely before everybody in my era's time. If you have a dad who's a baby boomer, you know who Rodney Dangerfield is. But yeah, interruptions, they don't show you no respect. They don't show respect to you, to your schedule, to your plans, to the things that you had going on. They just barge in whenever they want and they demand your attention. And that's what an interruption is. It's something that takes your attention, your focus, your drive away from what you're doing to adjust you to this new thing. Most of the time when we think of interruptions, we think of them as negative. We're like, ah, oh, they're the worst. But in this series, what we're doing is we're not just talking about interruptions, but we're talking about divine interruptions. In other words, there are some interruptions that may occur in our life that are somehow connected to a supernatural God, a God who is all-knowing, a God who is all-powerful, a God who actually says that he loves and cares about you even when you don't love and care about him. And somehow or another, there are interruptions that can occur in our life that God has almost breathed upon, that God is using to advance his purposes And while they advance his purposes, they're also somehow for our good. Like that's how big God is. And so we, most of the time, don't identify the interruption as ever being connected to God. Because it's so inconvenient. A lot of you know uh, my story. I grew up uh, around here. I actually went to Smithville High School. It's just north of here. And uh, in high school, I was uh, an athlete. I played uh, soccer. I played basketball. I ran cross country. I ran track. And I came to find out that I was better at running than anything else. So by the time my senior year came around, I'd kind of handed off basketball, even though I still loved playing it. I stopped playing soccer, even though I still love playing it. And I began to focus just on running. And so in my senior year... I found out that I got way fast. Like, I dropped like a minute and 20 seconds off of my previous PR. Nobody saw me coming. I was like, look at me go. This is so awesome. And so I ended up qualifying for the state meet. Now, I had qualified the year before uh, without a whole lot of training, and I finished 82nd in the state. And some people are like, that's pretty good. And I'm like, yeah. But my senior year, as I ran that race, that's what I looked like my senior year, I had a chance to be top three. I could move from 82nd to the top three. Oh, I was excited. And back in those days, they didn't have like Mo Miles split where you could kind of see all your times. Like you had to work to find out everybody's times. And I was working. And I saw everybody's times from the qualifying meet. And I knew if I ran my potential on that day, I could be a top three finisher. Oh, it's going to be so good. I was going to get some opportunities to get paid in college to run. I was going to get a big head. It was going to be so good. (laughs) Like my ego was going to grow. And, and what was fun about it was that the qualifying race that we had for it, they mismeasured the course. So the qualifying race, although I killed it, it was long, so my time was slow compared to everybody else. So I knew I was walking into a state with nobody even looking at me. I wasn't feeling the pressure. Nobody was having high expectations. I was going to be that dark horse that came in and just took it. I was, like, so pumped. So I drove down to The state meet with my coach. I was the only boy qualifier from our school. We showed up a day early. We previewed the course. I ran it, figured out how I was going to run this. This was when the meet was in Jefferson City, where it was for like 30 years. Um, And the, the race is pretty flat the first two miles. But then the third mile, it gets legit, like there are some intense hills. And so I was planning out what mile one needed to be. I was going to come in about five flat. Then mile two was flat. I just needed to hit about 10, 15. I kind of knew where I needed to be in order to land myself in those top three spots. I was prepped. I hydrated. I olive gardened. I was there in the best Western trying to go to sleep the night before like a kid on Christmas. I was excited. And, and there, was some, you know, there was some reality to the moment that this was going to be the last race I ran as a high schooler. It was going to be my final time to compete in the 5K. And all of my training was there. I wasn't hurt. I wasn't injured. I was so ready to go. And so I remember waking up the day of the race in the hotel room. And I don't remember if I started my morning by praying. I like to think back, like now as a pastor, be like, I woke up and I was like, God, I thank you for this day. I don't know if it was that or if I was just like, more, you're gonna kill it today. Like, I don't know. But I went to say something out loud in the privacy of my room by myself and I realized I had no voice. And as I sat up, I just felt hot and I didn't feel very good. And I woke up that day sick. And I have this memory, even to this day, this was over 20 years ago, of leaning in this Best Western. They tore it down. It was in Columbia. I'm leaning on the sink, looking at myself in the mirror in disbelief that of all the days that I could wake up sick, it had to be today. They're not going to postpone this race for me. They're not going to let me be healthy for it. I've got to show up and run less than 100% on the final race that I get to have my senior year. So I went and I told my coach, I said, hey, coach, I said, I don't feel so good. So he put his hand on my head and he said, hey, you're going to be just fine. (laughs) (laughs) He's a good coach. Uh, He told me afterwards, he said, my goodness, he said, your head was on fire. He said, you definitely had a fever. So he... uh, he was like, you know, you probably ought to take a little, you know, ibuprofen, and uh, just get out there. Do, do your thing. So, I tried to tried to ignore all of the things, and, and that's me running sick. That's me coming into the finish line, and while I had high aspirations, man, mile one looked good. I was right there. I was in the top three. I rolled through about five flat through that first mile. I was like, here we go. Yeah, boy, that sickness ain't gonna get me, and then And then it got me. It got me real fast. And uh, the wheels fell off, and I was struggling. And then by the time that third mile with those hills hit, man, I felt like I was walking up those hills. I mean, it was like, this is horrible. And I knew at a bare minimum I wanted to be top 25, because top 25, you get a state medal. You're still all state. And while I didn't run what I had hoped and dreamed, I didn't win state. I didn't come in second. I didn't come in third. I came in, actually, sixth place. Out about 150, and so I do have a picture of me, here I am, back in the day, 17 years old, on the podium, getting that medal. All those other guys you see, I beat them. Uh, <laughs> they haven't brought the guys up that were faster than me. And, uh, and as I think back on this, you know, I believe that on that day, there was a divine interruption into my life. And you say, well, what, you think God made you sick? I don't think God necessarily made me sick that day. But I do believe this. I do believe that God allowed me to experience the most success I could and still accomplish as well. That's what I believe. Because here's what I know. If I would have done any better in that race, if I'd have been a top five finisher at state, I wouldn't be standing here before you today. Because I would have gone and I would have ran on the scholarship in college. I would have taken the money. I would have been like, man, I'm so close. Here I go. I wouldn't have um, done what I did after high school. Here's a newspaper article. Because, see, after my senior year, I came on staff at this church at the age of 19. I enrolled in Bible college, and I began to pursue ministry. And had I done any better in that race... I probably wouldn't be doing what I'm doing today. And I believe that God loved me enough to allow me to experience the most success I could and still go the direction that he wanted. And so for us, I believe that God loves and cares about each and every one of us. And I think that sometimes he is coming and he is interjecting himself in our world in ways that we don't always recognize in order to help guide us in order to help move us, in order to steer us in the direction that he wants. And if you're here and you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus, I believe that God has been putting lots of little guardrails up in your life to get you to a moment to where you would surrender to him. That you would say, God, I don't need you just to, to move on your own account for my behalf, but God, I want to hear you and begin to move in your direction. So our recap from last week, if you weren't here, here's just a few things about these divine interruptions when God kind of shows up in your life unexpectedly. Number one, divine interruptions are always a work of grace. Like we didn't do anything to deserve it. God loves us so much that he has showed up on our behalf. How cool is that? He loves you that much. Number two, we talked about how divine interruptions create an opportunity. See, when you see and recognize that God is showing up in your life, you still have a choice, He's not forcing you to do anything. You still have a free will. God can sovereignly move, but it doesn't impact your ability to make a choice. I still have to choose to follow him. After I came in sixth at state, could I have still gone and ran on scholarship? Yes. I still got all the calls from the colleges. I got the letters in the mail. I still got that. But God had moved my heart in such a way that I pursued him over my own ambitions. And number three, divine interruptions are there to get our attention and move us in a new direction. Isn't that so good? And the direction God has for you is better than the direction you would have for yourself. Now, that's where faith comes in because some of you are like, nah, I got a pretty good plan for my life. But God's like, I know more than you. And you're like, I don't know. He's like, no, really. I've been around longer than you. (laughs) I created you. I spoke the world into existence. I created you with purpose. You'll never find fulfillment and fruitfulness outside of my plan. Oh. We have to humble ourselves. The divine interruption, it's to get my attention and adjust my direction. So this morning, we're going to look at a crazy, everybody say crazy. Crazy. It's a crazy story found in the Bible. This is one of those ones that preachers are like, I don't know if we can talk about that story. That one's a little weird. Uh, We're going to go there. So it's going to be so good. Uh, This is an old school story today. It's found in the Old Testament in the book of Numbers. Some of you are like, oh, no, not Numbers. If you grew up in church, you're like, that is not the book we want to read from. Hey, we're reading from it. So this is a story that's taken from ancient Israel's history. This story is found in what's considered the Torah, uh, the Jewish scriptures, and this account is from nearly 3,500 years ago. How wild is that? So before we get into the story, we'll be in Numbers 22, for those of you who brought physical Bibles and you want to turn there. Uh, Before we get into looking at the actual text, I'm going to give you the backstory, right? So we're going to kind of catch everybody up to speed. The nation of Israel was kind of God's chosen people, and they had been taken slaves to Egypt, Random wild stories. You probably heard about Moses, and he went and led the captives free and led them through the Red Sea, and they ended up in the wilderness, and they they stayed there for 40 years. And at the end of that 40 years, Moses dies, new guys in charge. His name's Joshua. And Joshua has been assigned by God to lead his people, the Israelites, into what was called the promised land. It was the land God wanted to give them. It was going to be a good land. The Bible said it was flowing with milk and honey, you know, and it was like, hey, it's going to be really good. And so Joshua had the responsibility of leading this group of people into the land. The problem with the land was that other people were living there. So they were supposed to get the land, but they kind of had to remove some people from the land. And so that was kind of what was happening. And so God was like, listen, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to help you through this whole process. Yes, these people may war against you, but you'll always have the victory as long as you do what I say. So. Joshua led the Israelites over, and they had just defeated this huge people group known as the Amorites in battle. And the word about this new tribe, these Israelites who were empowered by God, the word was spreading throughout all the other kingdoms. And so right next to where the Amorite battle took place was the town of Moab. And there was a king there who realized, we don't stand a chance against this nation unless we have supernatural power on our side. And so the king's name was Balak. And Balak said, I need to find a prophet, a spiritual person, a seer, to come and to curse them. And if we can get a curse on them, then we might stand a chance. So Balak began to send his messengers out to find a specific guy by the name of Balaam. And this was the message that he had sent, the king sent to Balaam, this prophet, and we'll put it up here. It's in Luke chapter 22, verse 5 and 6. The message was, look, a vast horde of people has arrived from Egypt. They cover the face of the earth and they are threatening me. Please, Balaam, come and curse these people for me because they are too powerful for me. Then perhaps with this curse, I will be able to conquer them and drive them from the land. I know that blessings fall on any people you bless, and curses fall on any people you curse. Now, Balaam gets this news, and initially from the outside, it looks as though he is a real man of God. Balaam hears this message. He hears that there's money involved. The king's going to pay him to come. He's going to have an all-expense trip paid. It's going to be Moab. It's going to be good. But he tells the messengers that the king saying, he said, listen, I need to talk to God tonight and I will only do what God tells me to do. And so that night, God shows up, verse 12, it says, God told Balaam, do not go with them. You are not to curse these people. You're not to curse the Israelites for they have been blessed by me right? So Balaam listened when God instructed him not to go to Moab, and he sent the king's messengers away the next morning. He said, hey, I can't go with you. God said no. He sent them away. But King Balak, man, he's got, you know, he's persevering. So he sent more messengers back, more distinguished this time, and with even more money, and said this. They said, this is Balak, son of Zippor. This is what I'm saying. Please don't let anything anything stop you from coming to help me. I will pay you very well and do whatever you tell me. Just come and curse these people for me. Remember, at first, glance, it looked like, man, Balaam, like, he's not for the money. He's not for whatever. He's going to listen to God. But here's what he ends up telling these messengers. Remember, God already told them, don't go. But he's like, why don't you guys stay the night one more time? Let me go and talk to God about this again. How much money did you say again? Yeah, why don't you guys stay in the i and I'll see if God changed his mind? And so what we learn is that Balaam really wanted to go with the men. That was his heart's desire. He wanted to go. He wanted to deliver the curse. He wanted to get paid. Balaam was greedy. And that's why he wanted to just go to God one more time about it. And so while Balaam on the outside appeared to be a real man of God, we discover that he really was a bad prophet. His heart was not to honor God, his heart was to get rich and to take the king's silver and gold. And so just a little side point here, uh, you can't fool God. God knows what your heart really is. On the outside, you can fool other people and people can say, man, I really think that person's a, a person of God. But God knows whether you're for him or for you. See, in 1 Samuel 16, 7, we read this. It says that man does not see what the Lord sees, for man sees what is visible. But what's the Lord see? The heart, the home of your desires. He knows what's motivating you. You can't fool God. And and we learn hundreds of years later, there's this apostle by the name of Paul. He was a follower of Jesus, and he wrote a letter to a group of people and he used Balaam as an example, and in that letter, this is what he writes in Second Peter, he says that they've left the straight way and wandered off to follow the way of Balaam, son of Bezer, who, what? loved the wages of wickedness. See, his heart was not to please God. His heart was to build his own kingdom. You just simply can't fool God. And, and let me say this as well: when God says no, don't go.) <laughs> Right? Like, we should just stick with that. Like, did he say no or can I maybe get a maybe out of him? Just if God says no, don't go. But even when God says no, realize you still have a choice. And I think most of us have heard the illustration about the little boy who kept standing at the dinner table and his father demanded that he sit. And so the little boy finally sat down and he said, I may be sitting on the outside, but I'm standing on the inside, Dad. And I think that's how Balaam was. On the outside, it appeared as though he was obeying God, but on the inside, he had a heart to do what he wanted to do. So God, knowing Balaam's greedy heart, essentially says to him, he says, fine, Balaam, if you want to go to Moab, then go. Obviously, I don't have your full attention, but I'm God. I'll get it. So in the King James Version, in verse 21, it says, And Balaam rose up in the morning and saddled his ass and went with the prince of Moab. Now, I think for our sake, we will not continue with the King James Version. It might be a little distracting to you. We're going to flip to the New Living Translation for the rest of our reading today. My wife's like, you did not just do that. (laughs) I'm just reading the Bible, hon. In the New Living Translation, it says this. So the next morning, Balaam got up and saddled his donkey and started off with the Moabite officials. But God was angry that Balaam was going, so he sent the angel of the Lord to stand in the road and block his way. Anybody say divine interruption? We're sending an angel to stand. I mean, okay. As Balaam and two servants were riding along, Balaam's donkey... Saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword in his hand. And the donkey bolted off the road into a field. But Balaam, what did he do? He beat it and turned it back onto the road. Dumb donkey. That's what he was thinking. Then the angel of the Lord stood at a place where the road narrowed between two vineyard walls. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, it tried to squeeze by and crushed Balaam's foot against the wall. So Balaam beat the donkey. Somebody needs to call Peter Animal Services here. Verse 26, then the angel of the Lord moved farther down the road and stood in a place too narrow for the donkey to get by at all. This time, when the donkey saw the angel, it lay down under Balaam. And in a fit of rage, Balaam beat the animal again with his staff. Side point, we all deal with spiritual blindness. Balaam didn't see. His donkey did. But Balaam couldn't see what was right in front of him. And I think sometimes it's hardest for us to see what's right in front of us, isn't it? I think that's why God sometimes puts people in our lives, to help us to see what we can't see. As I shared last week, God will allow the interruption of, In your life to get as loud as you need it to get in order to get your attention. The first time the angel showed up and the donkey bolted, did it get Balaam's attention? When it crushed his little foot in between the vineyard walls, still didn't get Balaam's attention. Now the donkey sent. God will continue to allow the interruption to be as big and allow your life to become as chaotic as it needs to in order to get your full attention. And with Balaam, God was gonna have to work outside of the norm to get his attention. And so, verse 28 says, Then the Lord gave the donkey the ability to speak. I told you it was gonna be a crazy story. The Lord gave the donkey the ability to speak. I just wanna let you think about that for a second. The donkey is it able to, like, form words. I don't even know, like, how the donkey's tongue works. Is his big teeth moving? Like, how how is the, the donkey is talking? Like, now, some of you, depending on what area you're from, are like, is this, like, Eeyore? Is this, like, Winnie the Pooh? But others of you are like, no, this is donkey from Shrek. <laughs> this is the voice of Eddie Murphy coming out of this thing. So we got this kind of moment, and, like, I think that it would be amiss to say that this isn't kind of comedic. You know, like there's a part of me that's like, I wonder if God in heaven is looking down. He's like, oh, Balaam, I just need to get your attention. And he's like, I got an idea. Hey, angels, hey, hey, come here, come here. This is going to be great. I'm going to make this donkey talk. <laughs> this is awesome. This is the Bible. All right, we continue. So the Lord gave the donkey the ability to speak. And here's what the donkey says. He says what have I done that deserves your beating me three times? And Balaam did, I'm sure, what you would do, right? He answered the donkey. <laughs> well, you made me look like a fool. If I had a sword with me, I'd kill you. <laughs> I mean, what? But the donkey, now, they're in conversation now. They're, they're, it's heated. Here we go. But I'm the same donkey you've ridden all your life. I don't know if you knew this, I looked this up, donkeys can live to be up to 50 years old. It's possible he's ridden this donkey literally his entire life. And the donkey, with now the ability to speak, is like, hey, haven't you ridden me all your life? Have I ever done anything like this before? Well, no, Balaam admitted. And and then here's what happened. The Lord opened Balaam's eyes. He allowed Balaam to see what the donkey was seeing. And he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the roadway with a drawn sword in his hand. And Balaam bowed his head and fell face down on the ground before him. A posture of humility, a posture of worship. When God blocks your way, stop. Let me give you a few key takeaways from today's message. Number one, God knows how to make himself heard. He knows how to make himself heard. Man, sometimes we think, like, man, I know somebody in my life. I don't know if they're ever going to hear from God. Listen, God knows how to make himself heard by every person, every place. In John chapter 12, verse 32, it says, Jesus says, and when I am lifted up from the earth, in other words, when I am placed on the cross, I will draw everyone to myself. I want you to know that God is drawing everyone to him. He wants everyone to come to know him. He's placing divine interruptions in everyone's life, trying to get their attention. Number two, what's crazy is that God is a God of impossibilities. When we got donkeys talking, anything's game, right? Like, God's liable to do anything, right? So he is a God of impossibilities. Uh, When he talked to the Virgin Mary, he said, listen, nothing will be impossible with God. So no matter what your situation, no matter how far off you may feel that you are, listen, God is a God of impossibilities. He can do what you can't figure out how to do on your own. We think in natural terms. He thinks in supernatural terms. We live in the finite. He lives in the infinite He is a God of impossibilities. And number three, God wants your attention because he wants your heart. Remember, we talked about how God sees your heart. He sees your real desires. He doesn't want just your outward activity to please him. He's going for the heart. And if he can get your attention, his hope is to get your heart. He would love for all of us like Balaam to fall in a place of worship. And not just one time, problem with Balaam was he still got up and was still kind of greedy. He still went and obeyed, but he ended up being a horrible prophet. He actually told another king how to screw up the Israelites, how to make them sin, how to make them fall, how to turn them away from God. Balaam still remained about himself, even though there were these divine interruptions. So just because you've had a divine interruption in your past doesn't mean that we're still going the way that we need. We got to recognize God still is speaking. And what's cool is Jeremiah 29, 13 says that if you will seek me, then you will find me if you seek me with all of your heart. James 4, 8 says, come close to God, and guess what? God will come close to you. He invites us to wash our hands because we're sinners, to purify our hearts for our loyalty is divided between God and the world. And finally, Mark twelve thirty it says... This is Jesus. He says, here's the most important thing. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. See, when God has your heart, the reason he wants your heart is because he wants your worship. And we were all created to worship. You say, well, I don't worship. Well, no, we were all created to worship. The issue is what we are worshiping or who we are worshiping. See, our default is to worship comfort and pleasure and achievement and possessions and anything that builds my little earthly kingdom. But none of those things ever satisfy. And as I said earlier, you can't fool God. You can't just on the outside trust be like, God, I'm pleasing you, but your heart still be for all these other things. He knows where your heart is. And because he loves you, he wants to get your attention. And this is probably the biggest point, is that, When God interrupts, it's because he's speaking. When God interrupts, it's because he's speaking. He's not just interrupting for no reason. It's because he wants to give instruction to you. When God speaks, he's not just talking to talk. We've met those people. We don't like those people. That's not God. He's not a rambler. He's not a close talker. He's just, when he's speaking, it's on purpose for us. And almost always when God speaks, There's a command involved. There's something that I'm being called to do. He's not just talking to be like, hey, let me tell you about how things work in the universe. No, he's like, hey, let me tell you what's important for you to function in this universe. There's a place that I'm going to need to not only give him my attention, but give him my heart and my obedience. We were all created to worship. But is our worship directed toward our creator? So as you bring this message to a close, here's kind of the final big point, is that if you think God is speaking to you, maybe, that might be God, you need to act on that. That's the step of faith. But you say, well, what if it isn't God? Well, if it aligns with what he would be about, if it aligns with Scripture and loving others and benefiting others and not being about you and not being about pride just go ahead and do it. If you think it might be God, go ahead and step out in faith and act on it. Now, if you're like, you know, some of you guys are like, I'm a little bit more critical than that. I can't just move on that. I need more evidence. Okay. Go to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. Here's the evidence to help you know whether you're hearing from God or not. See, the Word of God, it's alive and active. And here's what it does. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit. It's going to separate my thoughts, my will, my emotions from the spirit, which is the part of me that's connected to God. So if I want to know, is this a part of me or is this a part of uh, God? Well, the word of God is going to help me to divide that out and to know whether this is from God or from me. Joints and marrow, it judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Heart. So I'm not sure if this is God or not. God's word is going to help you to discern whether that's of you or of God. But it doesn't negate the fact that if you really believe that God's speaking to you, you have to act on it, which is the last thing we want to do. You know what we'd rather do? We'd rather say, hey, I think God's speaking to me. Hey, um, would you guys pray with me? You know, uh, I think God might be speaking to me. I'm not so sure. Um, Could we help? we get like a small group gathered together. I think God said this to me. Can we see what the Bible says? Let's find out what that says in Greek and Hebrew. We can find out all the things that we think that we're supposed to do and talk about it and discern it and all those things. But until we do something, it doesn't matter. Like we have to do something. I can't just talk about it. I can't just write it down. I can't just journal about it. I can't just circle it in my Bible. I have to do something about it. So here's the big question today is what is your next step? See, I believe that God is involved in your life. Whether you've recognized it or not, divine interruptions have been showing up. If somebody invited you to church and this is one of your first time church, man, hey, guess what? This is a God working in a divine interruption. However you ended up here, like God was involved in the process. And he's wanting to use this moment to challenge you to take a step. So what's your next step? Well, I'm going to help you out. We're going to make it real practical. Good thing I got a coaching background. Step number one, if you haven't yet, I want to encourage you to surrender your life to Jesus. Instead of him continuing to send up wake-up calls left and right and trying to get your attention, maybe today you give him your full attention and you step over the line of faith and say, all right. God, I surrender my life. I'm not running anymore. I trust you with it. I ask you, God, to forgive me for doing it all on my own. I'm not going to be in charge from now on. I want to do it your way. If you haven't done that, it's the most freeing, liberating, exciting thing that you will ever do in your entire life. Every Christian has had that moment. They've stepped over the line of faith. And the Bible says that you become a new person. I don't know about you, but that sounds really appealing, that the old ways are gone and new ways are beginning and that he's beginning to change you from the inside out. No more purposelessness, no more wondering what the purpose and meaning of life is. No, no, you have meaning, you have focus, you have purpose. You're here on intention. So if you haven't done that yet, man, today could be your day. What is the date today? August 13th could be your spiritual birthday Three days ago, I celebrated my wife's spiritual birthday. She turned 18. Woo. 18 years ago, she stepped over the line of faith and put her faith and confidence and trust in Jesus. How cool is that? It's on my calendar. I got Billy's spiritual birthday on my calendar too. Call him every year on his spiritual birthday. My, hey, man, you're getting older. <laughs> I hope you're getting, hope you're getting better. Today could be the beginning of the rest of your life. Number two... Maybe you've done that first step. Well, maybe the next step for you is water baptism. Water baptism is when we are able to proclaim publicly what's happened inside of us. See, when we surrender our life to Christ, essentially the idea of baptism, um, because we will baptize by immersion here, right, which means that you're going to go underwater and it's a Unusual thing. It's not something that like normal people would do, but hey, this is what God's called us to do. The idea is that when you go under the water, it represents you going into the grave, it represents you dying to your old self. And as you come out of the water, it's representative of you being resurrected, that God has touched you and brought you into new life. And we're to then live out our new life. And it's a public profession of what's already happened internally, it's symbolic, it's awesome. So if you've not done that, hey, maybe that is your next step. You say, well, I've done those two things, Pastor Alex. I'm so glad that you put those on that list. I feel so good. I'm going to leave the church today. I'm not done. I'm not done. Number three, you've really trusted God. You're really putting your faith, your confidence, you're growing. Hey, maybe it's time to start bringing God the tithe and the offering. It's a part of worship. It's a part people don't like. Some people might leave church and be like, all that pastor talked about was money. It was number three at the very end of the message, just, just for the record. Here's the idea, right, is that if I've given my life to God, I've given him every part of my life, which includes even my finances. The tie, this 10%, kind of the idea is that if I'm able to make money, if I'm able to have an increase, then that really is because God has blessed me in some way. God has enabled me to do this. And so he says, hey, real easy, you got 10 things. I want you to bring one back as a form of worship to me. That's mine. The other nine you get to keep. But that one, that one's mine. That's our worship. If you haven't stepped over the line of faith, you know, tithing's not really for you. It's a form and an act of worship of saying, God, I trust you. You're number one. Now, the offering, the offering is anything above and beyond the tithe. The Bible would even say that if you don't you say, I'm keeping all 10 for me. You're actually robbing God. And God's like, You want more blessings or not? Like, you can't just keep it all for yourself. It's not about you. It's like, I'm blessing you and I'll bless you more if you trust me. So the tithe is the, the 10% or the 10th, but then the offering is above and beyond that. So I always got excited when I could give above and beyond. I was like, Well, I wonder how, how much I can give this year. Before we had kids, my wife was working full-time. I said, man, we were like, we're going to give crazy. Let's do this. It was a blast. And then we had kids. We weren't able to give crazy anymore. But we never stopped giving the tithe. And we always kept an offering, even if it was just a little more. The tithe and offering. You say, well, I haven't done that yet. Hey, challenge has been presented and I'll tell you this, and I, I got some people in the room. I know Rick back there. He's like, anytime you want me to talk about tithing, man, I'll talk about it. Because he said there's no way when he first became a Christian, he said there's no way that we could afford to do this. Like, I know how money works. There's only so much of it. But he and Faith stepped out there and began to tithe. And now he said, I, I can't imagine not doing it. God has blessed us so much. Like, it's been crazy to see what God's done. And if you've never experienced it, hey, today could be the day that you begin to sow seeds into the kingdom of God. Number four, maybe you're like, yep, I got that down. We're, we're moving along. Maybe it's time for you to make a commitment and become an official church partner and member. Not just to come and to be here, but to say, you know what? I see the vision of the church. We're here to make a difference in this community. I want to come and link arms. I want the accountability that comes with that, and I want to say I'm behind the mission. I'm behind this, and I want to move forward. How can I serve? How can I give? How can I be involved in this to the greatest degree possible? Yeah, be an official partner and member. You get to spend a little bit more time here in my vision, my heart. We get to be in communication. We get to move forward together. We get to try to win the world for Christ together in a greater way. So maybe, maybe that's your next step. Maybe it's time for you to start serving others. Maybe you say, hey, is there some way I can volunteer? Is there some way I can give my talents, my abilities? Hey, listen, I don't know if any of you all can sing, but I need a singer in this worship band. Nothing against my 74-year-old father, but just saying. That's all I'm saying. Just saying. Just, you know, make it, a, make it, a, make it an issue of prayer. Uh, serving. There's ways to serve. We have children's ministry. It's happening downstairs right now. We need people to serve. People who would be willing to say, you know what? I'll take a Sunday out of my month to not be in the main service so that others who have children can be a part of that. Serve. Maybe you need to figure out how to serve. Number six, maybe it's just time to level up a little bit in your faith. Maybe you're coming, you're doing certain things, you're checking your boxes, but you're not doing any of the extra stuff. You're not showing up at 845 for a foundations class. You're not showing up on Wednesday nights at my home for Above and Beyond, which is funny. It's Above and Beyond Sundays. That's what it's called, so like, you know. Above me, time to level up. Maybe, maybe you need to get involved in a, a regroup. We're going to start our small group season up in September. Maybe you need to take that next step of not just being an attender, but actually tying into community. Number seven, maybe what God's leading you to, the next step, is to invite someone to church. It's the coolest thing ever. It's a lot of fun. Number eight, maybe it's time for you to actually start studying your Bible. Like not just reading the verse of the day on the Bible app, but like actually studying your Bible. I can help you with that. Maybe it's to start praying every day. And not just for your needs, but for others. Maybe what God's calling you to do is to begin fasting. Maybe you know that you should, but you just never wanted to do it because it's such a death to yourself and you like food. I don't know. Maybe that's what God's calling you to do. Or number 11, maybe there's just a specific activity in your life that you know is not good, it's not healthy, it's not what God would want for you, but you continue to do it and you just haven't broke that habit yet. Maybe you need to break that habit. All right, so I gave you some very specific things. God may have something different. It's not on the list. Cool. If you think God's speaking to you, you got to act on it. But let's look at our list one more time. If you're here and you want to surrender your life to Jesus, hey, we can make today the first day of the rest of your life. It's going to be awesome. I'll lead you in a prayer. But it's where your heart is. Number two, you're like, hey, I haven't done the whole water baptism thing. Okay, hey, there's like a card on the back of your seat. It's got a little QR code. If you point your phone at it, you can click the contact card. Check box says water baptism. Hey, we'll get a time scheduled for you to be baptized. Be exciting. We'll celebrate it. You say, Hey, I want to start that tithe and offering thing. Cool. Hit that QR code. You can give digitally or you can throw something in that black box back there. You say, Hey, I want to become an official church partner or member. Hit that QR code, go down to church membership, click it, and fill out the application. You want to uh, begin to serve others? Go to that contact form. Say, I'm interested in serving. You want to level up? Go to that QR code, download the Church Center app, and join a group. I don't know if you know this, the QR code's involved a lot. You don't need the QR code to accept Jesus, though. (laughs) You want to invite someone to church? Hit the QR code. There's a button that says plan your visit. You can have people who are going to come, maybe who have kids. They can plan their visit. They can get their kids already in the system to make check-in way faster. There are cards in the back of the room that says you belong here. You're invited. And oh, there's a QR code on it. QR codes are back, I'm just saying. You want to study your Bible? You can hit that QR code, and you can read the Bible with us. We're right now just finishing up kind of the Old Testament. You can finish the year out reading the New Testament with us. We're all in a group together. It's awesome. You want to start praying daily? You don't need the QR code. Unless you want other people to pray for you. And there's one in there that says request prayer, and you can flick that and tell us what, how we can pray for you. You want to begin fasting? You don't need the QR code. You don't need the grocery store either. You just stop, All right. <laughs> And if you need to stop a specific act, just stop it, all right? Just stop it. God will help you. So for those of you who say, you know what? I have been living life for me. I haven't been living for God. And I want to step over the line of faith. It begins with a change of heart. It's not so much the outward actions. It's not the mechanical prayer that we're going to pray. But it's about your heart changing. And so today, if you're in a place of saying, I want to, put my faith and trust in God, and I want to start moving in his direction, just where you're at, I just want you to close your eyes and just say, God, forgive me for doing life my way. I want you to have my future. So God, I give you my life. God, I give you my life. I hold nothing back. I give you. My life. That's it. That's the prayer. It's the first conversation of many to come. But if you pray that and you mean it, God's Holy Spirit is going to come and invade your heart. All the angels in heaven are going to stop what they're doing and they're going to celebrate someone who was dead coming to life, a resurrection story. God, I give you my life. And as we continue to pray for those of us who have already made that step, but we're hearing what God's saying and we need to act on it, I'll pray this on our behalf. Dear God, when we encounter interruptions, may we look and may we listen for you. Help us to recognize your voice when you speak and may we respond in faith and have obedience. May you not only have our attention, but may you also have our hearts, and may we give you worship. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message. For more information, please visit NewLifeKC.com.